0: Hi, everybody. Stefan Molyneux from Free Domain Radio. I'm extremely pleased to have Dr. George Holden with us. He is um, a parenting expert, a professor of psychology at Southern Methodist Methodist University in Dallas, Texas, author of the book Parenting, A Dynamic Perspective, and a study which I recently referenced on this show, Eavesdropping on the Family, a pilot investigation of corporal punishment in the home. Thank you, uh, uh, Dr. Holden, so much for taking the time today.
1: Sure, my pleasure.
0: So this was, uh, if I understand it correctly, a bit of a surprise for you, uh, The study. You, you were originally trying to study something else, and then it kind of changed course, right?
1: Right. We we wanted to study actually what really goes on in the home, but we had a focus. And, and our focus was on parental yelling, because almost all parents report that they yell at their kids, but there's been very little attention given to the quality of the yelling. So we want to uh, get a glimpse into that by having moms record their home interactions with a little digital audio uh, arm recorder that that we had given to moms. And uh, in the course of that, listening to those recordings, we came across these spanking and slapping incidents. So we decided to focus on those.
0: And a surprising amount, if I understand this correctly, because I think the parents report that they study, that they hit, sorry, uh, 18 times a year. I think your calculation was a little different.
1: Well, yeah, those, the 18 times a year was based on a different study. Um, But that was, the 18 times a year is sort of uh, a general reference that a lot of people assume is accurate. And what we were finding was that those, at least for the parents who are spanking and slapping, that estimate is is probably way, way off, that parents are doing it a lot more than had previously been thought.
0: Right. Uh, to the point of uh, 18 times a week or 900 uh, and, and change a year, uh, which be, is... Because- really an astounding figure when you think I mean at any level to be hit 900 times a year by somebody five times your size is is quite a formative uh, set of experiences I would assume
1: absolutely and I mean that's not that's not everyone that's only the, that that's a high-end spankers or slappers who may be doing it that much or perhaps even more but it, it is uh, it is I think, a significant experience that these children are having, and I would I would call it a, a, a micro trauma that they're actually experiencing and repeatedly experiencing, and it's likely that these micro traumas can have long term effects on on brain development um, and certainly on on their behavior and their and their orientations toward others.
0: Okay, so let's talk for a moment about the theory versus the practice of corporal punishment because there was a significant deviation or set of deviations from the theory versus the practice. I wonder if you could outline some of the theories behind corporal punishment and then ways in which these these moms were not uh, pursuing that theory.
1: Well, there isn't any one single theory about how to go about using corporal punishment. Rather... There's, to my knowledge, there's about five or six authors out there who have published in this, in this domain recommending how one should spank. And so what, what we did is we looked through those five or six different authors and kind of came up with um, what seemed to be fairly consistent across the authors' recommendations about how to spank. Now, we actually didn't ask the parents whether they were aware of the guidelines or how to go about doing it. Instead, we just um, analyze our data along the lines of those recommendations or those guidelines. And they were things like, do it infrequently. Do it as a last resort. Do it for a severe misbehavior, not not a minor misbehavior. Do it when you're calm. um, Hit just once or twice. And um, they they suggested that if you do it, it's going to be effective, and so so they encouraged parents to do it. So that's what we were looking at. We evaluated those uh, sort of five recommendations and the and then the effectiveness of it with our data set, which is it's it's uh, admittedly it's a small data set. We we recruited 35 moms, and out of uh, we had some technical difficulties with two. So, so we had 33 moms and we heard um, spanking in um, 14 of the, those with those 14 of the families out of the 33. So it's not a large sample, but I think it, it really reveals what is going on in a lot of homes. And we, we can't argue that it's representative of all homes, but I think it gives us a little snapshot about what's going on. And what we've found is they, parents aren't spanking at all in uh, along the guidelines of what's been recommended. They're spanking uh, frequently, they're spanking for trivial misbehaviors, uh, they're spanking 30 seconds after the misbehavior occurred, not as the last resort, but rather as a second resort. Typically... Moms and we had a couple of dads uh, say, you know, stop it, cut it out. And then when the kid didn't do it, they ended up slapping or spanking the kid. So it was occurred very early in the disciplinary uh, interaction. Um, About half the time, parents were clearly heated, angry um, with the child, as you might expect. And um, the one clear guideline they followed is, as far as we could tell, they did only spank, in most cases, once or twice, though there were a couple of exceptions. Uh, in one case, one mom hit the child 11 times in a row. So, um,
0: Oh, that was the one for fighting with his sister, right?
1: I, I think so, yes, right.
0: Um, yeah, There's no, nothing then, like using aggression to teach children how bad right. aggression is. I, how, how people can process that cognitive dissonance in, in the moment is, is amazing.
1: Well, my take is that parents aren't doing enough processing of, of their behavior. And if they did what I call meta-parenting, which is reflecting on, on your parenting behavior, and thought about, observed how the child's reacting, thought about, yes, the spanking does work, for the immediate, but if I wait a few minutes, my kid's misbehaving again. So clearly it's not working. If they thought about these things, I think they'd think, hmm, I need to try something else. This is not working. But most parents uh, don't do that. They just hit and the incident is over. So they uh, think, hmm, must have worked. So yeah, our other finding was that in, in most cases, children were misbehaving within 10 minutes after the spanking. Some were doing the same behavior, some were doing other behaviors, but uh, clearly it was not an effective tool for promoting good behavior from a child.
0: Right. Now the statistics that I've heard, and you know, they're kind of all over the map, but they're certainly at the high end of the percentages. 70 80 85% of American parents say that they still spank their children. You had a little less than 50%. Um, do you think that parents may have modified their behavior because they were being recorded? I know some of them were hitting that very night that they put the recorder on, so probably not. Uh, do, do you have any reason to, or do you have any knowledge about why it might have been lower, lower than the average?
1: Um, well, yeah, the reason probably was because we just had a small sample of, of behavior. That if we had a larger sample, um, like we had four to six nights of recordings, if if we had two weeks of recordings or three weeks, it's likely that we would have heard more incidents across different families. So I think that's really the, the issue in this particular case. Um, I have no doubt that, that spanking does occur in at least 70% to, to 90% of, of uh samples in the United States. Um, It's just, particularly in the South, it's just accepted as a a standard disciplinary technique and not enough parents question it. Well, it's...
0: I guess it can be frustrating. It must be even more. You've been studying this for 30 years and I've been for, you know, I guess six or seven years, um, a minor public figure attempting to get experts like yourself in front of parents to help them to sort of understand that it doesn't work, that it can have a negative effect on IQ points, that it can provoke um, uh, oppositional defiant disorders, that it uh, degrades the quality of social interactions, both peer and to authority, uh, and, you know, you name it. I mean, there's almost nothing other than, you know, <laughs> eyes exploding that spanking okay. can promote in terms of negative behavior. I've had Dr. Elizabeth Gershoff, uh, I've had Alison Gopnik on to try and talk about this stuff. It really seems like this is a hard, a hard message to get across to parents. And again, you've, you've been working at it a lot longer than I have been. If I sort of look at the revolution in domestic violence that occurred from the late 1950s to the 1960s, it was relatively quick, which doesn't mean, of course, that it was eliminated. It just means that the message got out very quickly. Uh, But with this, I mean, I remember reading books when I was younger, the sensible Spock's book in the post-war period book of sensible baby and child care or something like that where he was um, uh, against spanking and these these the correlation between spanking and negative outcomes for children and its lack of efficacy in even promoting what the parents say they want which is compliance and obedience and better behavior this stuff has been known for decades it seems really hard to get this message across to parents and why, why do you think that is?
1: Um Lots, lots of reasons I think are going on. Um, I think in in the U.S., part of the issue is, uh, given it's been historically such a prominent disciplinary technique in most families, that uh, parents accept it without questioning because they don't want to a. Um, they they. They don't want to suspect that their parents were not doing the best job that they could have done. And then given that they've been using it, they also don't want to um, question their own parenting and think that perhaps they have been engaged in a practice that isn't really beneficial for their child. So so there's some of that issue going on. I think there's another issue is in the United States, we don't really... Um, have in our collective dialogue the idea of children's rights. And in many countries that where children's rights are more prominent, they will uh, address the issue of children's right not to be hit. But in the United States, we don't uh, talk about children's rights, only the rights of the unborn or adults' rights or parents' rights. So there's sort of, a, I think, a, a blockage there. Um, that also kind of inhibits more dialogue and more discussion about what, what is best for children, uh, because we're just thinking about what's best for parents in terms of parents having the right to do, raise their children in whatever way they want. So there's some of that issue. There's also some um, problem of lack of, for, even though this may be surprising to you, there still is a communication gap that, that we still hear parents have not been informed that corporal punishment is associated with negative effects. And uh, we, we need to do a better job getting the message out that uh, there is this massive research literature showing these, these associations and showing that spanking is not effective. But parents, um, some certainly have, but, but many still have not heard that message. So that's part of what I'm, I'm involved in. I'm associated with this group called the U.S. Alliance to End the Hitting of Children. And part of our job, as we see it, is to educate the country that uh, there are this, uh, that this corporal punishment is associated with these negative problems and there's better ways to, to rear our children.
0: So for the parents, and we still haven't really talked about the yelling, which is also pretty significant. And I know that in the study, you you asked for a parents who admitted to yelling at their children, and you didn't find many who <laughs> weren't uh, on that side. Uh, we haven't even really talked about that. But I, I would like to see, you know, just calm, peaceful negotiation with children. I'm a stay-at-home dad. And uh, I found that to be just a fantastic way of interacting with kids yeah. uh, because they are so powerless and to me where, the, where you have the most powerless members of society you need to approach them the most gently uh, and the most uh, solicitously rather than you know exercising power over the powerlessness which, which among adults we recognize is not great we're still working on that with kids um, so for parents who want to not be aggressive uh, and I know you've got a whole book about this but I wonder if you could sum up some of the options that are available for parents who want to be more reasonable with their children and not provoke these kinds of problems.
1: Yeah, sure. There's, well, part of the problem is parents fail to recognize that one of the problems that children have is their immature brains and that they yet don't have their prefrontal cortex has not yet developed so that they can control their behavior to act like an adult. But parents often forget this and kind of are expecting immediate compliance and expecting children to remember. Th- what the parent had just told them a few minutes ago, when they don't really have the cognitive uh, ability and the neurological capacity to do some of this. So so part of the message is for parents to recognize that their children are these developing organisms and that their brains are immature and they need many more years to develop so that they will be adult-like. In the process of waiting for those brains to develop, You don't want to do things that could potentially damage your kid or result in negative, uh, unintended negative consequences, which spanking can. So, you need to avoid situations that put you in in that conflict if you can. Um, So, that sort of one recommendation is to structure the environment, structure the situation so that you're not in a situation that may result in the child misbehaving or doing something where you have to try to discipline them because they don't have the wherewithal at this point to be able to resist temptations like candy or cookies or something or potentially dangerous things. So you need to, A, structure the situation. If if you can't do that, then you need you also need to keep in mind do you have appropriate expectations for the child and these obviously need to change with the child's age, but um, are you expecting appropriate behavior for the particular age of the child? With the young and and depending on that, the types of responses you can use function or vary as a, a function of the child's age and the circumstances. For example, with a, a, a young, toddler or or, um, uh, infant or toddler, you can divert their attention very easily from the tempting object to a positive interaction. As the child gets older, then diversion often won't work. So you have to begin to do things like focus on what motivates the child, what do they care about, and then remove what they care about. What's the most, in most cases, what they most care about is adult attention, parent attention and love and warmth. And if you express to the child why his or her behavior is not acceptable and what your problem is and that you will have to stop engaging with the child for the moment because the child's behavior is not acceptable. So basically putting the child in a, in a short timeout, then I think that's very effective for, for preschoolers. As you get older, that doesn't work, then you have to, again, focus on what motivates the child, whether it's watching TV or using a computer or electronic or peer interaction, and then control those things by um, parents giving firm guidance and setting boundaries, setting limits, and disciplining the child, but in a positive, constructive way, not in a, a punitive or negative way.
0: So, yeah, I've, you, I've certainly found also that the most powerful parenting tool that I have available to me is the mirror. Because, because I, you know, if I say to my daughter, I don't think you're paying attention and I've been on my cell phone half the morning, which is rare, but right. whatever, right? Then right. You, am I modeling the behavior that I'm criticizing? So, of course, for the, in, in your study, the parents who are saying to their children, you're being inappropriately aggressive while launching physical attacks on them within 30 seconds of the conflict beginning it's like look in the mirror time rather than look at your kid and i you're right about the the, of course the brain development i don't ask my daughter to get something from the top shelf because she's five uh, physically, she hasn't grown high enough to get there, right. and it's the same thing with the brain itself. So, yeah, if you, if you look into your mirror and figure out what are you modeling for the kid, is anything coming back that you're modeling? In which case, you need to alter your own behavior and not focus on the kid. And yeah, recognize that they're still short mentally and can't get to the top shelf.
1: Absolutely, yeah. Um, we, yeah, we. I mean, we all need to to reflect more on our own behavior. Look in the mirror, as you say. Um, we we expect our children to be calm, controlled individuals, but then we get so worked up about their behavior and we start yelling at them. And we, mo- we model, as you point out, the very behaviors we don't want to see them develop. So parents really need to um, take a time out themselves, take a step back and look at their behavior and think about why, why was I getting so worked up about this issue? Is it really that important? Do I really need to have a battle over this little thing? Because the long-term goals are what are important, and the long-term goals are raising children to be happy, healthy, independent, respectful individuals, um, plus whatever other things you want. But if we think about those long-term goals and then look at what we're getting so worked up about in the immediate context, I think... Parents will often say, Oh, I, I can, I should let go of that. That's really not that important. And I need to focus on developing a good, warm relationship with my child, not a relationship where the child fears me because I may hit him or her if she doesn't do exactly what I say, exactly when I say it. So I think. We, in general, have developed this mis, a little misguided orientation to what a good parent is, and that um, we, we need to reorient our focus and focus on what, what is now called positive parenting. And positive parenting is the idea that you engage in, in good cooperative relationships with your child. You, you, if you um, try to calmly elicit good behavior, the child really wants to do what pleases you. And that that will, uh, the child then will, if you do it in a well, in a loving way, the child will often behave in the way that you want. And this will promote a good relationship, open communication, and um, the child who's going to be loving and respectful in the long term. Um, And we
0: fully accept that, Love and aggression are incompatible in adult relationships. Like you can't hit your wife until she really respects and loves you. and, yeah. and But we have this short circuit when it comes from adult to child. Uh, you know, you, you're not going to be motivated at work by somebody yelling at you. You're going to kind of deflate and, you know, be, be upset. Uh, right. And so I guess except for the army, <laughs> I guess, but in sort of a civilian life. But we have yeah. this kind of weird disconnect and, and that which we fully understand would never work in an adult relationship, hitting, yelling, uh, aggression, and so on. We just have this complete opposite standard when it comes to kids and, and breaking that down and, and helping people to understand that children have the least voluntary relationships in society. You know, I mean, I've used this analogy before that if, if the government assigned you a wife And she wasn't there by choice. You would have to treat her extra special in order to overcome the involuntary nature of her relationship to you. And it's the same with kids. They don't choose you as parents. They're born into it. And I think we have to treat them the very best to really overcome that involuntary uh, nature of their relationship. Like I sort of, I try to parent like if my daughter could choose any father in the world, she would choose me. Uh, Now, she doesn't have that choice, but I kind of want to parent as if she had that choice, because you know she can choose to associate with me or not when she grows up, and um, right. I think it's almost like uh, power corrupts, and and the fact that children aren't there by choice and can't leave, which I think should make people have the highest standards in those relationships, I think actually causes those standards in many cases to degrade.
1: Right. Yeah, and let's not forget, 150 years ago, men could hit their wives for misbehaving, and. Uh, it was accepted and very common in the United States that that men would do this. Um, And they had to, of course, operate under the rule of the thumb, which meant they couldn't beat their wives with a stick larger than the diameter of their thumb. But nevertheless, it was incredibly common. And we don't yet, as you point out, we don't yet make the connection that we are still beating our children Sometimes with objects, sometimes sticks, but often just with the hand, which is, should be a, a, a low object, um, but we, we still beat them with the hand. Even if it's a slapping, it's still um, an assault on the child that should not be practiced.
0: Right actually I, I accepted that rule of thumb thing um, you may want to Google that I think it may in fact be an open myth, but nonetheless we certainly it was more accepted to, to have uh, uh, marital violence in the past than it is now and we hope to extend that onwards. So what's next for these um, you know for me at least eye popping and incredibly valuable studies are you going to work more in this with this kind of approach uh, with recordings uh, are you going to do more with the data set that you have now? what's up next for you uh,
1: both we have. We have hundreds of hours of recordings which take um, double double, or triple that long to try to code and uh, then write up for studies. So, so we have several years more of working with this data set. But, but in the meantime, I also want to uh, expand the study, get a more rep- representative sample to get more s- samples of corporal punishment. Uh, to try to replicate what we found and expand it, um, try it out in different socioeconomic groups, um, and see to, to what extent we can generalize what we found. Um, we'll be trying some new methodology to see if we can speed up the process because and, and make it automatic a bit more. Uh, so we're going to be using some equipment that will automatically um, transcribe the, the words Heard on the recordings, which won't necessarily uh, spot the corporal punishment incidents, but then we can at least zoom into the conflictual incidents and then listen for the um, spanking or slapping that often occurs around those. So so those are our plans right now to continue on with the data set, but also expand with uh, a new data set and larger sample.
0: Well, fantastic. And we'll, of course, put links to your, to your book and to, to your websites uh, uh, on, the, um, on the link to the show. I, I really appreciate it. I mean, having this kind of data, you know, we can make a moral case, but having this kind of data is enormously helpful for activists like me to be able to go out and help people to understand how things can be done better. Uh, so I hugely uh, appreciate the work that you're doing and, and uh, I really look forward to the next, uh, next data set that you release.
1: Great. My pleasure. Thanks very much. Okay.